You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. My name is Jim McLaughlin. I'm an elder here. The plan was that it was family weekend at uh, TVR and nobody would be here. (laughs) So they gave me permission to preach. (laughs) Uh, it turns out some people showed up, I see. Huh? Sorry about that, but <laughs> do the best we can. This morning I want to talk about David and Mephibosheth, story of amazing love. And our focus is 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. I uh, delivered a message on this many, many years ago, and some people who are in the audience were there, but I'm sure they will not remember. Uh, but when I told David Calvert what I was going to talk about, he said, oh, I remember you. <laughs> well, but I've changed it up a little bit. The background, though, is in 2 Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 20, where we see David fleeing from King Saul for his life. And David meets with Saul's son, Jonathan, and tells Jonathan that, His dad, Saul, is trying to kill David. In verses 16 and 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, David and Jonathan make the famous covenant between them. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then the story moves to Saul's final hours in chapter 31 of uh, 1 Samuel, where Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, are all killed. And 2 Samuel begins with uh, David lamenting the loss of his close friend Jonathan. That makes sense to us, does it not? They were very close. They were very good friends. They loved each other as brothers. But as you read 2 Samuel chapter 1, you also see something that might be a little strange to us. David is also lamenting the loss of Saul, who had tried to kill him on more than one occasion. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have an enemy who's trying to kill me and he gets wiped out, I think I might sort of like that. But David lamented the loss of both Jonathan and Saul. And now comes the transition from King Saul to King David. Chapter 8 ends with, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Humanly speaking, he was the ruler of the land. He was supreme undisputed ruler of the land. Our focal passage is in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and we're going to read the first five verses, although the uh, focus is really on the first 13 verses. But if you please stand for the reading of 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 5. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Moshir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Moshir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Of course, uh, Ziba's referring to Mephibosheth. Uh, and at this point, we, we hear Mephibosheth in a particular context. David remembers his prom promise to Jonathan that he would never cut off his kindness from Jonathan's family, even after the Lord had cut off every one of the enemies from the of David from the face of the earth. In 9-1, 2 Samuel, the, verse, the word for kindness there is probably better translated as grace. You know, we're always defining terms, and we talk about grace. We say it's a positive and unconditional acceptance in spite of the other person. Grace is demonstration of love that is undeserved, unearned, and unrepayable. So David ponders, is there anybody left that I could show the kindness of God to for, the, for Jonathan's sake? You might ask why David is pondering that. He's king. And as we see, sometimes when you become king, you become a different person. But David had made a promise. In fact, he had made two promises. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, when David was still running from Saul for his life, Jonathan came to him. And in verse 13, it starts with, but Samuel, but, but Samuel 20, 13 through 15, but should it please my father to do you harm, Jonathan says. If that's true, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. But the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Well, then he says, is there not more? If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Well, that's powerful. That's what Jonathan's asking of David. But let's look at verse 9-1 again of 2 Samuel. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So David made the promise to both Jonathan and Saul. And later, we see recorded here in chapter one, uh, 9 uh, of 2 Samuel, we find David thinking about that promise. Is there anyone left to whom I might demonstrate Grace because of Jonathan. Notice this. He says, is there anyone? 
He doesn't say, is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone who deserves my favor? He just says, is there anyone? Regardless of who they are, regardless of their merit, is there anyone I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? That's unqualified acceptance and unconditional love, of course. Well, in verses 2 and 3, they identify somebody. David had asked, is there anyone? And they said, well, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. I don't know why he didn't say, yeah, I'm Ziba, but anyway. <laughs> the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. So David asked, is there anyone? And the response is, well, yeah, there is somebody. But he's crippled. Almost as if maybe that disqualifies him somehow, right? Yeah, there is somebody. There's still a son of Jonathan around, but he's crippled. But look in, look in verse 4. Look at David's response. What does he say? Where is he? He doesn't ask why he's crippled. He doesn't ask how he became crippled. He just says, where is he? And that's all he's looking for is where is he? And that's the way grace is, is it not? Grace isn't picky. Grace, grace doesn't look at things that have been done that deserve love. It doesn't look for things that have been done that cause you not to give love. I repeat, it's undeserved, it's unearned, and it cannot be repaid. Grace operates from the response, uh, apart from the response of the ability of the individual. It's totally one-sided. We got nothing to do with it if we receive grace. It's all of him. And here, this is what makes the story of David and Mephibosheth absolutely beautiful. A strong and famous king reaches down and reaches out to one who is the, everything the king is not. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of 1979 in Macon, Georgia in my living room one night when God reached down to me and I was everything he was not. I was sinful. I was selfish. I was prideful. And he reached down to me. Mephibosheth was chosen for Jonathan's sake. I was chosen for Christ's sake. Mephibosheth had no qualifications. I had no qualifications. And that's true of every one of us in this room who have said yes to Jesus. We have no qualifications. We are called and saved, not because we deserve anything from God, but for the sake of his perfect son, Jesus. 
It's interesting in reading about this uh, Warren Wiersbe, who died just last week, I think. I was reading Warren Wiersbe's commentary on this. And he refers to Ephesians 4.32. And I read Ephesians 4.32, and there it is. And I said, hmm, is that really what this story is about? But Wiersbe thinks it is. Look what it says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul is telling the Ephesians to, to show grace, mercy, love, forgiveness to each other. You know, a lot of us in this room, we've been wronged by people. We've been hurt by people. And it makes us angry. But God's word tells us to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. And as I was thinking about this, I said, you know, it's not easy for us. But while we were yet enemies, God loved us first. And I think it's important that we forgive those who have wronged us. Because, number one, Scripture says so. Number two, if we don't, it will eat us apart. It will make us bitter. So I think that's a very good verse that Wearsby throws in. Now, David, no, David simply said, where is he? He didn't ask anything about him. And Ziba answers, he's in the house of Meshir and the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Look at that word, lo means in Hebrew no, and Debar is from the word meaning pasture or pasture land. Uh, so Mephibosheth is out in the middle of nowhere, barren, desolate land. And what's he doing out there? Why is he there? After all, he's the son of Jonathan who was the son of Saul, who was the king. He was in the royal line. And he's in the middle of nowhere. So why is he in the middle of nowhere? Well, custom. What was the custom back then? Well, when one reign ended and another reign began, everybody in the old reign, as you read the Old Testament, aren't you just absolutely astounded by God tells them, do what? Go kill every man, woman, and child. They do it all the time. <coughs> People are killed right and left, and often at God's instruction. So the custom had become, when a new, new king took power, everybody in the old king's line was killed. Everybody. And those that were not killed hid out. And that's what Mephibosheth was doing. He was hiding out. He was hiding from King David because he feared that King David would kill him. So the last thing he's, what's the last thing he's thinking about? I hope nobody from King David shows up and knocking on my door. And what happened? Knock, knock, knock. It happens. That's exactly what did happen. Imagine how Mephibosheth was feeling. Hmm. This is it. We don't know exactly how old he was at this time. 
But Warren Wiersbe says he was about 21 years old. We know he had a child named Micah. And we know that he became crippled when he was five years old as his nurse was trying to enable him to escape after Saul and Jonathan had been killed. And, he had, and she had apparently dropped him or fallen or something happened and he became crippled. Here he is hiding out. He answers the door. And what does the messenger say? If you're Mephibosheth, think how this makes you feel. The king wants to see you. I'm scared enough somebody's going to come say, the chief of police wants to come see me. Right? The king wants to see you. I'm sure Mephibosheth thought, this is it. But he responded. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Well, there's a lot there, is there not? He, he noticed that he falls on his face. He'd been called, he'd been summoned by the king, and he showed up. Look at David says to him. He's trembling, he's a cripple, he's trembling, he's scared. He thinks this is it. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you, get this, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. That's not the response he was thinking was, was coming. And you shall eat at my table. David made the first move. Let's talk about those six points. Uh, I got them written down here somewhere. I don't have my glasses on, so bear with me. But I do have them available if we need them. <laughs> David made the first move. For us... This illustrates quite clearly what salvation is all about, does it not? It's of the Lord. He makes the first move. In fact, he must make the first move. Why? What does Scripture tell us? No one seeks God, not even one. In our sinfulness, we are in open rebellion against God. We have no interest in him at all. He must seek us out. Romans chapter 3 makes that very clear. Then second, we see David acted for Jonathan's sake. David had never even seen Mephibosheth. He didn't know who Mephibosheth was. And yet, he showed kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan, his friend. It's the same with us. God has shown kindness to us. For the sake of his son. It's the same thing. Then three, it was an act of kindness. It was undeserved. We, like Mephibosheth, have no case to present. We, <laughs> there's no reason God would choose me or you. Ephesians and Titus make that clear as well. And then David called and Mephibosheth came. It's an interesting point. I like what Wiersbe has to say about this. David sent a messenger 
It's true. David sent a messenger, a servant, to fetch Mephibosheth. But the servant stepped aside to make room for the king. And Warren Wiersbe points out, nobody is saved by a preacher. Nobody is saved by an evangelist. Nobody is saved by a missionary. All the preacher, the evangelist, the missionary, or us as witnesses, all we can do is what? Usher them into the presence of the king, Jesus. And then we step out of the way. He saves, we don't. But see what happened here? Mephibosheth fell on his face. He knew he was condemned. He thought this was the end. He was going to be killed. And David says, Mephibosheth. Jesus calls us by name as well. That night in 1979 in my living room, Oak Tree Drive. As my wife points out to me quite often, the nicest house we've ever had. <laughs> Things have gone downhill since then, but that's okay. He called my name. And how he knew my nickname, Jimmy. And I heard it clearly. But you can only hear it when the Holy Spirit enables you to hear it. And the Holy Spirit enabled me to hear. And he called. David called Mephibosheth. Christ does the same for us. Then David spoke peace to him. What did David say? Do not fear. And Mephibosheth was fearing. He was a trembling, crippled man. And he heard the words, do not fear. And that's what Christ says to every believing sinner. Do not fear. I am with you. And Paul writes in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not fear. He is with us. And David provided for his every need. Mephibosheth would never return to the no-pasture land again. He would now eat daily at the king's table. Wow. That's quite a change, isn't it? from being out in the middle of nowhere, hiding out from the king, and now being considered a member of the king's family and able to eat every day at the king's table. Well, I could go on. I'm sure that in home groups you can talk about other points here. I came up with those six. I stole them from Warren Wiersbe. Uh, and you can come up with others. Could go on and on. But let's think about eating at the king's table, which we're about to do. Picture this. We're in the castle. I might like this castle. King David. And the meal has been prepared, and the dinner bell rings. And now, along comes the family and the guest of King David. 
to have a meal at the king's table. First comes Abnon. Abnon, he was a clever and witty guy, likable. He comes first. Next comes one of the guests, Joab. Joab, uh, he's, he's muscular. Just take a look. Muscular. <laughs> You're laughing too hard. <laughs> Debbie, is that man laughing at me? Uh, I'm used to women laughing at me. Uh, muscular, masculine, bronze from the sun. He walks erect. He's tall. He walks with the confidence of the experienced soldier that he is. And he comes and sits down at the table. Next comes Absalom, David's son. Talk about good looking. He was the handsomest man in the land. From the top of his head, which I assume had hair on it, to the soles of his feet, there was not a blemish. And he comes and he sits at the dinner table. Then comes Tamar, David's beautiful daughter, stunningly beautiful. She takes a seat at the table. Then, oh, what about Solomon, you say? You know, Solomon's son of David. Well, Solomon's been in the study all day, you know, getting wise. And uh, he, he finally decides to come in. He heard the dinner bell. He comes and sits at the table. And then, the man himself, King David, comes and takes a seat at the table. When I was in high school, which was a few years back, we would say, man, that's cool. That's cool, isn't it? That's some table. I don't know what the kids nowadays say, awesome or something like that. I don't know what they say. That's great. Man, that's wonderful. How would you like to be at that table? But wait. I hear something. Clump, 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 clump. Here comes Mephibosheth. Hobbling his way to the table. He gets there, and he smiles, and he humbly takes his place. Mephibosheth is eating at the king's table. And that's what we're about to do, you and I. Mephibosheth refers, refers to himself when David's showing all this favor to him. Why should... You, the king, show such favor to me, a dead dog. A dead dog is the way Mephibosheth describes himself. And that's us. You know, that's who we were before Christ called our name in grace. So we come to the table today. At 
his invitation. And I do need my glasses for that. This Bible my wife bought me is not made for old people. She's trying to think she's still married to a young man. Not true. And I, the invitation is to all believers, all followers of Christ. If you're a visitor here today and you have followed, you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to participate in this day. Because it's a family dinner. And you're the family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to God's word to us before we partake of the elements. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28. Whoever eats of the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. Let's take a few seconds here to self-examine and confess sin to the Lord. Father, we are your children and we come to you knowing and confessing our sin and thanking you for the forgiveness of that sin. Thank you for inviting us to come to your table and sup with you. Amen. That same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood in the eternal covenant shed for you. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we're thankful that you have invited us to dine with you at your table. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some people are saying, look, it's only 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, whatever time it is. And uh, we're through. Well, there's, there's the rest of the story. The rest of the story. What do we learn later in 2 Samuel? We learn later that Absalom, that handsome dog, <laughs> rebels against his father, the king. And he organizes an army, and he goes in revolt to overthrow David. Once again, David flees in fear of his life. This time, not from King Saul, but from his own son, Absalom. And as he's fleeing Jerusalem, he runs into Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant. And he looks at Ziba and he says, you remember what, remember what uh, David asked in 1 Samuel chapter 9? when they told him that there was still a son of Jonathan and he's crippled in his feet. What was David's response? Where is he? David now asked that same question of Ziba again. 
Where is Mephibosheth? We're getting, we're, we're leaving, we're escaping Jerusalem. Where is he? And Ziba responds by telling King David that Mephibosheth believes that Absalom is going to win. That he's going to actually overthrow King David. And Ziba tells David, not only does he believe that, he thinks that the, 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 the crown, the, the, the reign, is going to be returned to the line of Saul. And who's in the line of Saul? We know one person. One. Mephibosheth. So Ziba tells David, Mephibosheth did not flee with you because he's not with you. He's turned on you. He's a traitor. Now here's where all, all morning long, what have we been doing? We've been making Mephibosheth us and David Jesus, right? <laughs> By analogy. We've been doing this all morning. Showing grace, how grace operates. And how we're chosen, even though we're unworthy, how Mephibosheth was chosen, even though he's unworthy. We've done that over and over. We've driven that message home, I hope. But look, here's where David shows, as we say in South Georgia, he ain't Jesus. Mm -mm. Ain't no way he's Jesus. Because what does he do when told this? He gets angry. And it ain't righteous anger. And what does he do? He, by eating, he takes all the land that he had given to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake and gives it to Ziba. Because Ziba did not betray King David. But in King David's mind, Mephibosheth had betrayed him. Well, what do we, we re, keep reading? You know what would be a good exercise this week? Read First and Second Samuel. Man, it's, it's great. It's great. Gospel all through it. And then what do you see? Later on, what we learn what? Absalom is killed. The revolt is defeated. King David is still king. Uh-oh. And so he returns to Jerusalem triumphantly. And as he returns to Jerusalem in triumph, who is there to greet him and meet him? Mephibosheth. And he comes out to greet King David, smiling, happy to see him. And David says, where were you? How come you didn't flee with me? I thought, I thought you were in my camp. I, I made you a member of the family. I let you eat at my table every day. Come on. Where were you? And Mephibosheth says, and this reminds me of Adam and Eve. Remember what Adam said? God said, what are you doing? He said, you know that woman you gave me? Blamed it on her? Mephibosheth says, that servant of mine, Ziba, took all the donkeys, didn't leave one. And didn't leave anybody to help me 
a cripple, get out of the city. I couldn't follow you. I wanted to follow you, King David, but I could not because my servant, Ziba, betrayed me. Now, this is interesting. As a lawyer, apparently, according to Brad Talley, not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> as a, well, you may know more than I think it is. But as a lawyer, what's, what, what's sort of shocking here in this account? Because what does David do now when Mephibosheth responds that way and says, hmm, it was Ziba's fault, not mine. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't get out. David goes, oh, okay. And what does he do? Well, now by edict, he decides to give Mephibosheth half the land that he'd given him before and let Ziba keep the other half. Huh? I say, what's with that? What's going on there? And, but I mean, what's really amazing, you can read it, you can read it, you can read it fast, you can read it slow, you can go get you a Coke and come back and read it again. You can read all the footnotes. You can read Warren Wiersbe's commentary. And what did David not do? He made no inquiry as to who's telling the truth. Somebody is lying. Either Ziba is lying or Mephibosheth is lying. Somebody ain't telling the truth. Right? And David doesn't even inquire. He just said, okay, you get half, Ziba gets half. Now, that's just unacceptable. That's my theory. That's unacceptable. I don't like that. David was a sinner like you and me. And he messed this up. Because he had not given Mephibosheth the land because Mephibosheth was a loyal follower of him or Mephibosheth was a good guy or Mephibosheth was the best player on the team. He gave it to him for Jonathan's sake. And we all say, yeah, yeah. What's, what's wrong with that, David? And then I thought about this, and I said, you know, I'm that way. And, of course, when I was thinking about this, my wife's on vacation with the girls down in St. San Fernandino Beach, Florida, because they're college roommates, and they all get together every year in May. And so I sent a text to her the other day. I said, how are the old women, I mean, how are the girls doing? <laughs> they have that loyalty and everything. But I, but I, was, I was thinking about this, and I, was, I, I said, well, this makes... I think this way. Do you ever think this way? One day, God the Father is going to say to me, you know, you are a sorry rascal. He's going to find out something about me that I'm trying to hide from him. A particular sin, perhaps. And I'm worried that when he finds that out. Now, I, de I, I describe myself as a serious-minded Christian because I certainly wouldn't describe myself as 
of one who doesn't care, Christian. And I assume everybody in this room who has decided to follow Jesus considers themselves serious-minded Christians. But many of us serious-minded Christians sort of view God the Father as being sort of like King David was here with Mephibosheth. He's going to take it away from us and give it to somebody who's more worthy. Brothers and sisters, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. God does not love us for us, because of us, because of who we are or what we've done or what we haven't done. He loves us for the sake of his perfect son, Jesus, the Christ. And, just, and ask this question. Could he possibly love the son any more than he does? Could he possibly love the son any less than he does? And of course the answer is no. Therefore, since he loves us for the son's sake, he cannot love us any more than he does. And he can never love us any less than he does. Again, the truth of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are reminded today of how much you love us for the sake of your son, Jesus. How can we possibly express how thankful we are for that unconditional love? Our brother from long ago, long time ago, almost three centuries ago, Isaac Watts, perhaps said it best when he wrote, were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We give thanks in the name of Jesus, Father, for your kindness and your good to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.